word tonight. Amen. Let's open our Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. In praying about what to share in some of these topical messages, the Sundays, I felt like the Lord kind of shut my heart up to this verse here, say 1 Peter 3 verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. I want to work on a question here. What do you believe and why? What do you believe and why? You'd be surprised the number of people that hold opinions and views that they've never really thought about or really paid attention to. All of us in here have some particular perspective that we possess and you could have inherited from your upbringing. You could have received it from school. You could have heard it from television or radio. But I want you to understand that first and foremost, the primary foundation for all of your beliefs should be the Bible. And if you're a Christian and you say Jesus is your Lord, and he's your master, he's your savior and redeemer, then everything else is secondary to God's word. It's primary. And when we consider that, you'll know that if, if you have a conversation with some people, sometimes they turn emotional about certain topics. If you talk with some people, they'll say, well, you know, you should never talk with your friends about marriage, politics, and religion. And the reason they say that is because it becomes so heated and there's a lot of disagreement. But I want you to understand that for us that are Christians, it is essential that we know what God's word says and that we incline ourselves to what the word says. So notice again in first Peter chapter three, verse 15, it says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Now, your heart is a place that has room for a lot of different people because you love your spouse, you love your kids. And for people who have lots of grandkids and great grandkids, I mean, 20, 30, 40, live to be in their 90s. There's just a lot of folks in that heart. Some people love where they're from. They love the place where they live. They love where they work. So this heart then is a residence for a lot of things and a lot of people. But Peter says here in verse 15, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That means separate him from everything else. He should be holy in a way that no one else is special in your life. I love my wife, but my wife does not come before God. I love all of you. I love doing Christian work and serving in the kingdom of God. But the labor doesn't come before God. See, so in your in your heart, then <clears throat> it is it is incumbent upon you to make sure that you keep first things first, second things second, third things third. Seek ye first the kingdom. And that what the Bible says. 
Yeah. And it says his righteousness. And then it says these other things, all of them will be added unto you. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Your hearts are receptacles for the position of God. Your hearts are the thrones upon which the Lord stands or the Lord sits, I should say. And don't forget in the book of Revelation, it even talks about how the king stands at the door. He's trying to talk to some church people, trying to get their attention. And before you became a Christian, God was doing what he could to be invasive, to intrude into your life. Now, if you don't like people getting into your business, you're not, you would never be happy with God because he's all in your business. And the Holy Spirit comes to bring conviction in our lives so that when we are wrong, we'll be convicted. And always remember this, unlike people who will accuse you of this and accuse you of that, the Holy Ghost never convicts you unless there is evidence of guilt. If you are convicted and feeling bad, you shouldn't have said it. You shouldn't have did it. So now you've got to figure out how to fix it. You know, Peter continues. He says, always be ready. Not sometimes, not most times, not many times, but always be ready. That means be in a state of preparedness. As a Christian, you should be able to explain what you believe. If we ask some of you ladies in here and and one or two of us gentlemen in here, how you would make a particular kind of food. If you knew you, you'd have confidence in telling somebody, here's what you do. Here are the ingredients you're going to need. Here's how you're going to prep everything. Here's how you're going to cut it. Then you're going to do this. This is how long you're going to bake. This is how long you're going to cook. You'd have confidence as you explained it. Now, if you didn't know anything about that, you wouldn't have any confidence at all talking about it. Unless you were like some men, you just make it up as you go along and you'll confidently lie, you know, <laughs> right? There's, there's some people who can do that. Don't know anything about what they're talking about, but they just chime in and add some information. So the Lord doesn't want us to be like that. He wants us to recognize that we should be ready. How do I get ready? Read the book. Study the book. If, if you can read a recipe card and understand it, you can read this and understand it. And if you can look into the word of God, which is a plan, not only of salvation from sin, but the salvation of your life from all kinds of difficulties, from valleys of shadows of death. Then you can be ready to explain to other people when they ask. Now, the scripture here says be ready to give an answer, which tells me people will sometimes ask you a question. Why are you a Christian? Why are you under the impression that Christianity is the only religion on planet earth worth having. And it's the only true religion. Why do you believe that? You should be able to explain that to them. But why is it that of, of all the different branches of Christianity and the thousands and thousands and thousands of denominations that there are on, on planet earth, why would you even believe or accept any premise that says there's such a thing as a spirit filled life? You should be able to answer that question. Someone comes to you and asks you, what is your particular belief about church attendance? You should have an answer. Is Jesus really the son of God or was he just a prophet? As the Muslims say, you should be ready to answer from the book. If you don't read the book, you can't give an answer. Now you can debate. But last time I checked, when I read the scriptures, Paul said to Timothy, avoid foolish debates. 
Because you cannot debate somebody into the kingdom of God. You can present the truth. The Holy Ghost brings conviction and illumination. And in less time than it has taken me to explain this to you, they can become a Christian. Without a prayer, a sinner's prayer, without bowing their knee, just the heart humbly submitting to the truth of the word of God, they can become a Christian. It's important. So listen to it again. Be ready. Always. To give an answer to every person, whatever religion or without a religion, whether they're tall, short, skinny, huge, be ready to talk to anybody who asks you a question. And this means don't be intimidated by the people who's asking the question. Because you may be under the impression, well, I'm not that eloquent and I'm not that articulate. And pastor, I'm not really able to explain what I believe. I get nervous and sometimes I go to stuttering or whatever, and I just don't feel confident enough to be able to do that. Well, the scripture says that God is able to put the words in your mouth that need to be spoken. That's what he told his own disciples during times of persecution. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you in what to say. And so to be honest with you, sometimes as far as witness and conversation goes, sometimes less is more. It is possible to talk too much. You do know that, right? I mean, if, if you're going to witness to somebody, present the facts, present the truth and be done with it. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Do not spend your time trying to convince people that your Bible, because it has a leather binding and it has gold imprinted words on it, is holy because of the exterior features of your book. Because other religions can find they can show you a book that's also bound in leather and has gold or silver embossing on it. And they, too, will believe their book is holy. Be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a question. Now, this certainly uh, requires a discipline in our own life to be able to to do. And you can see in verse 15, it now kind of narrows the focus of what you're supposed to be able to talk about. And they to be able to give a reason of the hope that you have. Now, what is hope? Hope is the belief that Jesus, who was raised from the dead, is coming back. Hope stands firmly upon the belief that Jesus is everything he said he is. Hope stands firmly upon what the word of God says about the king. And you should never change your mind because the majority of people change their mind. Now, anytime we come to church and the minister teaches or a teacher in the church gives the word of God. The whole point of it is to be persuasive, to help incline a person's mind towards the word of God so that they will believe what the scripture says. But in every other area of life, that is exactly what other people are trying to do too. the atheist wants you to turn from the truth. If you turn the television on, if you're at the dentist's office or in a hospital or at the car place and they got a television going in the uh, background, then you look at that and pretty soon on comes the view. And you're listening to all of these ladies sit around the table and they're talking about things that, you know, just don't make a whole lot of sense to anybody. And of course, to me, to hold that perspective, I wonder sometimes how some people don't go insane watching television. Yeah. But 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 they hold views that are contrary. And even the ones who are supposed to be conservative, according to the word of God, are liberal. 
Then you turn to the news. You turn to CNN, MSNBC, Newsmax, Fox News, ABC, CBS, and you listen to all of these reporters whose shows are designed to turn your mind away from the truth. I mean, Bill O'Reilly wrote a book more than 20 years ago, I think it was, that was a bestseller on the list. And yet this man, when he talked about Jesus, didn't describe Jesus as the son of God. So you could read the book, like the book, like his program. He could have had the best uh, watched program on all the planet. But in watching that program, you're not going to get closer to God. And you've got to understand, you have to be able to find the right sources to help you firm up what you believe. Now, Peter goes on to say that there's a certain attitude we should possess when we're speaking to people and talking to people about these things. And he says we should do with meekness and fear. Meekness meaning a a sense of humility and fear, meaning there should be a greater fear of God than fear of man. Because fear of man brings with it a snare. If, If you're afraid to speak the truth in front of your friends who are asking you what you believe, but you don't want to offend anybody, then you're going to be in bondage. Yeah, you're trapped and you won't say anything. You'll become a chameleon and you'll change colors in whatever crowd that you're in in order to keep yourself from standing out. But you should stand out. God has not called us to be relevant. He's called us to be peculiar, a peculiar people. See, A, a, a chosen generation, a holy nation. Separate God, sanctify God in your hearts. We're to live a sanctified life, holy, separate, and different and distinct from the people of this world and from carnal Christians too. There should be something in your life that resonates in such a way that your neighbor would ask you, what is it about you that makes you different from me? Now here in town, when you drive around, especially a couple of years ago, <clears throat> you drive around and, and, and there was always one person and, and a few others that were always a little bit different and they were very strong about letting you know what they believe and you could drive past their house and then you'd see all kinds of signs out in their yard. And you know, most people, they'll put one sign in their yard and of course that lets you know immediately where they stand. But this particular resident in town had like 50. I mean, you just drive past, there was a garden of viewpoints and perspectives. And then the one thing that you always knew when you drove past that house, you knew where they stood on the word of God. There's no question. All of us should be that way when it comes to scripture. If someone asks you what you believe, don't be mealy mouth about it. Just tell the truth. Let people know no sense in trying to hide it. Be ready to give an answer. Now, let's go to Leviticus chapter 18. And let me show you why this is important in our current society. And that is because views and opinions change quite often. Leviticus 18, notice that's the third book of the Old Testament, verse number one. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, you speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I'm the Lord, your God. Verse three, according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, past tense, you shall not do future tense. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you present tense, you shall not do future tense. So notice what the Lord is saying to the Israelites. 
I've just brought you out of Egypt. You've been there for several hundred years, but yet you have been able to keep yourself distinct and maintain your traditions as descendants of Abraham. Do not come out of Egypt and here in the wilderness incorporate the habits of the Egyptians. Be different. Don't bring in their religion. Don't bring in their speech. Don't bring in their dress code. Don't bring in their social mores. You be different. And now that you're here in the wilderness, I've told you about the past. Leave it behind. Here we are now in the present and you're surrounded by a lot of Canaanite groups of people. They hold different views and opinions from me. And I don't want you to even embrace theirs. So I want you to know right now your tomorrows are not to be filled with Canaanite traditions and customs. So what is he saying? You're going to be in the midst of Canaan, but you're not going to be of the Canaanites. So the Bible says that about us. We're in the world, but not of the world. We're to be different. And the way God was able to do this with them is by giving them the word. When you bring people out of bondage, you have to change their mind in order to change their lifestyle. Once you change their mind, you can change their habits. And when you change their habits, they're conforming themselves to being the royal priesthood God wants them to be. Now, you do that with your kids. Kids grow up in the house. They learn what you believe by spending time with you. The grandkids learn what the grandparents believe by spending time in their presence. So I knew what my grandma and grandpa believed because I spent a whole lot of time with them when I was growing up. I can tell you right now everything my mom believes because she was raised. She raised me, you see. And you should have some idea if, in fact, your mom and dad and grandparents went out of their way to impart to you these truths. If you didn't know, then you won't know. See? But notice what else the Lord says then, talking about these laws in Leviticus 18. He says in verse 6, None of you shall approach anyone who's near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. That's obvious. We should know that. We shouldn't ever do that. He's talking about relatives. Why would we do that? He goes on to, to tell us in verses 7, 8, and 9 about the nakedness of our parents. Oh, we ought not, we ought not see that. No. Then your father's wife could be a second wife. Could be stepmom, whatever. The nakedness of your sister, that's not supposed to happen. Now, all of this that we're going through right now, I could show you in the New Testament how you have this in seed form, if not the whole flower in the New Testament where the Lord says, don't do that. Somebody asks you, why do you believe adultery is wrong? You should be able to tell them why. Because of what the scripture says. Somebody asks you, why is stealing a sin? You should be able to tell them why. Move further along. Look at verse number 20. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. That's called adultery. That's a sin. Do you realize across this nation, adultery used to be a criminal offense? In the military, it's still a criminal offense. When I was in the military, when he was in the military, if you committed adultery, you could end up in the brig, the prison. They dock your pay. You could lose a rank or stripe or something. So understand that that culture now has changed. 
There was a time where even in the South, I I think they made a movie off of it one time. There was a lady who lost her husband to another woman who targeted her husband. And because the adultery laws were on the book, she sued the other woman for a million dollars and won the lawsuit. Won the lawsuit. Yeah. So what are you saying? I'm saying currently in our culture, you know as well as I do, adultery is not a crime. But listen to me, just because it's not a crime in society, that does not mean it's not a sin in the kingdom of God. See, You can have sin where there is no crime committed culturally. But look here, verse 21, you shall not let any of your descendants talking about your seed, your children, passed through the fire to Molech. That was the God that they offered their kids up to in sacrifice. Nor shall you profane the name of your God. We understand that we're not supposed to take the name of the Lord in vain. That's in the Ten Commandments. We also know that's in the New Testament. Whosoever called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We don't use the word Jesus as a substitute Swear word. It's holy. It's not a substitute cuss word. It's holy. Well, if we're not supposed to let our children be offered in sacrifice to an ancient God that they would build an altar to, then take that little infant or teenager and strap them down and burn them alive. If we're not supposed to sacrifice our seed to another God, then what do you think the Lord thinks about the offering of babies up every single day in these little Planned Parenthood places? That wouldn't please them. That doesn't please them. In Cleveland, Ohio, where I grew up, my high school, John Marshall High School on the west side of Cleveland, A girl could walk out of the high school during first period, walk three blocks, go to a Planned Parenthood, have an abortion and be back in class by sixth period. And that happened every day that school was open. Our school had about 5,000 people in it. That's a city. See, if it's not a city, it's a town out here. So you had hundreds of people from our school, not to mention the high schools in the other districts that would send their kids. God's not pleased with that. And when someone says to you, why do you believe abortion is wrong and why? You tell them, not because I heard somebody say it at the dinner table, but because the Bible says it's wrong. Now, if you need scripture. In Jeremiah chapter one, what did he say to him? Before I formed you, I formed you, I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you. That is to say there was a plan, a purpose and a destiny attached to your life before your mom and dad ever came together and you were conceived. I knew you were coming. We were all born at the right time. I'm grateful I was born in the 20th century. I'm so glad I wasn't born in the 18th century, but the 20th century. And then in Ecclesiastes, the Bible says it is God who causes the bones of the baby to grow in the mother's womb. This is why if someone's asking you why you believe abortion is wrong, it has nothing to do with a woman's rights. It has everything to do with God's command and God's blessing. 
Doesn't matter how much people scream and yell and get emotional. And, and how can you live according to that ancient book? You need to update your beliefs and your theology. This is the 21st century. Nobody lives according to that. It's time to update. Well, why should I update? Yeah, why should I update? This book was here before any of us were born. People have been living by it for thousands of years. It's taken millions and millions and millions of people to heaven. Why do I want to go to hell with you just because you have a viewpoint that differs from God? Because all you have to do to go to hell is do what is right in your own eyes. That's it. You just, it seems right to me. I didn't make it right though. Look at the next one, verse 22. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is what? An abomination. Well, pastor, don't you understand? People say today that folks have a right to love whoever they want to love. It is an abomination. Well, well pastor, you, you know, the Supreme Court says that it is OK and that, you know, the, the old sodomy laws and other things like that have now been nullified. They're no longer on the books and people can live and do whatever they want. And culturally, this is true from a society perspective. This is absolutely true. But I'm going to say it again. Just because it's not a crime in society does not mean it's not a sin in the kingdom of God. Yeah. You shall not do it. And this is where it gets all emotional because, you know, people just say, well, look, I've got a cousin, a sibling. Somebody in my family is is in this lifestyle. And how how am I to tell them that what they're doing is wrong? You don't have to tell them anything. Just read the verse. Read the verse. Well, I, I don't know if in this day and age that. This is still something we should hold to. Well, let me ask another question. Is stealing still wrong? Yeah. How about lying? Yes. How about adultery? Yes. Well, then who are we to pick and choose which particular acts are good and bad when God has already made the decision for us? Look at the next one. Verse 23, nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. That's explicit. I need go no further. Go to chapter 19. What do you believe and why do you believe it? Notice then when we come over into... Oh, let's start looking here at verse 19. You shall keep my statutes and you shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, nor shall a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. Now here he is under the law. Now what, what's going to happen if somebody goes up and down the field and then here they sow in the same row, we've got corn, we've got melon, and we've got potatoes. You're going to have problems. He, he told them, you, you, you don't do that. The mixture was something God did not want to put up with, and he certainly wasn't interested in intermixing the livestock. See? So when we come over into the New Testament, you can see why mixture and compromise has never been something that God has been entirely about. The reason they couldn't mix the garments is because the Lord said specifically 
that nothing that's going to evoke sweat from the body like wool is going to be upon that body of the person who's going to go and do ministry for him. So as a Christian now, we come to the cross. Christ has died for us and set us free. But the scripture still tells us what fellowship has light with darkness. Do not be unequally yoked with the things of this world, with unrighteousness. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you join yourself to a harlot, don't you know that you and the harlot become one? God says the mixture isn't good. Let's move on. Look at verse number 28. You shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you. So the children of Israel came out of Egypt. And if you've ever seen old pictures of the ancient Egyptians, you can see where they would use a lot of that henna to put markings and tattoos on their body, which oftentimes were magical formulas that they believed was going to help usher that body into the other world. Yeah, that's what they believe. So your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do, do you do you really Need to put skulls and crossbones on your back and buttocks and arms? No, not really. It's your business, but, but it's not necessary. It doesn't add anything to your holiness. And, and, and the Lord certainly was trying to preserve them from certain things like that. Because if no one's told you this before, have you seen these people that have all these... Um, Markings and stuff all over them. And then there's hardly a place on that basketball player's body and football player's body where they don't have all that. They forget that one day they are going to get old. And that face that's that's smiling on their chest. That when that body starts changing, it's no longer going to be a grin. That smile is going to be upside down as everything starts to droop. And I've heard of people trying to get those tattoos taken off of their body. And I've heard it hurts tremendously trying to get that stuff out of there. Yeah. Look at verse 29. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a harlot. We'll say that for the boy also. Lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. Well, pastor, don't you understand that in the state of Nevada, prostitution is legal again just because it's not a crime in a particular place, that doesn't mean it's not a sin for us. See, don't prostitute your daughter. I've seen many occasions where parents who are on drugs real bad pimp their children out. And they have a daughter, just let one man after another. Come in, have their way with their little 13 to 14 year old daughter. And then it, it's so bad in some places out here and other places. Well, parents, because they want heroin, meth or whatever, they'll let me and come back and forth into the room with a little boy. The Bible says don't do that. It is wicked. And it doesn't matter what our psychologists and psychiatrists say and tell you, well, you shouldn't call people a pedophile because it's, it adds a stigma to what they're doing. And it, and it hurts them and it affects them in a bad way where anybody involved with that should feel bad. And we should not create language that, that removes the stigma and the shame from that. This is why God has these things in Leviticus 18 and 19. And I'm telling you, 95% of them, I can take you to the New Testament and show you where it's written right there by Paul or Peter or somebody else. 
They're supposed to feel bad because it's not the way God designed this. Do not prostitute your daughter to cause her to be a, a harlot. And the whole victim mentality today keeps people from believing that anybody should be held responsible for their actions. We had an area in Cleveland, Ohio called Prospect Avenue. And every major city in America has a, a, a red light district where people know, don't go over there. Certain people know that. Well, my parents raised me to know where that was at. When they take me downtown, if we went to the movies or, or we went shopping and we'd come down prospect, it was always during the daytime. But even passing through in the daytime, my dad would tell me, don't ever come down here after about eight or nine o'clock at night. Say, what happens down there? Well, that's when all the strip clubs open up and that's when you see people kind of standing out on the corner and then cars pull up and then they roll that window down. And then somebody gets in as an exchange of funds. Terrible things take place. Stay out of that area is what God has said, because sin and flesh and carnality will create those kinds of things. And then people will congregate in those areas. They'll know where to go. And all my travels overseas, you'd be surprised how many of our actors, singers, politicians, Get caught in the middle of the night in Bangkok, Thailand with underage kids. Ought not be there. You see? Yeah. How did the kids get involved with that? Their parents very often. Had a family so big they didn't have enough money, so they needed a way to make money. India's temples, some of India's temples are filled with teenage girls that serve the priests as temple prostitutes. Do not prostitute your children. Well, Daryl, you got to be careful about saying that because we live in a time today. People are poor. They've got to be able to make money. Do not prostitute your children. Look at verse 31. Give no regard to mediums, familiar spirits. Don't seek after them to be defiled by them. So why is it, pastor, that you don't get involved with witchcraft? Because the Bible says stay away from it. Why don't you support, endorse, promote, approve of sorcery? Because the Bible says stay away from it. Well, society says this is not so bad and it's okay. It isn't okay. He says it's bad. It's bad. And you need to be very careful about what you do. You will never find in your Bible, I don't care what translation you read, you are not going to find in your Bible a positive statement about adultery. Not one. Even the worst translations, you won't find a positive statement about adultery. And, and if you do find one, you need to get another Bible. Yeah. Preferably KJV. Yeah. If, 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 if you search your Bible, you are not going to find a positive statement about witchcraft, about theft, or about homosexuality. Not one. Not a sentence, not a phrase, not a paragraph. Not a column. You're not going to find anything positive. Pastor, why do you believe what you believe? Because of what the Bible says. So what do you believe? Why do you believe it? See, if you're going to argue with somebody, you're going to witness to somebody, don't just tell them something like what my pastor said or my friend said. Give them a verse. Now, if you don't know where it is in the Bible, still give the verse. They can look it up just as well as you can. Just tell them. Look, the book says that's wrong. 
Now, when I go into a prison or I go into a school and um, of course, they've got all of these different rules, statutes in place. And, And I've already read to you where it talks about. Uh, nobody should, no, no person should lie with a male as with a woman. We, we already know that as far as God is concerned, as far as Jesus is concerned, we have two genders, male and female. So if I go into another location and they say, well, you know, in school you got to be, you know, if you're going to teach today, uh, pastor, you know, here, here's what we teach and all that. Look, if they, they believe in 26 genders, and all of this stuff, and, and they got so many names and stuff, they can't even remember what they are. Some people don't even know what they are. I mean, just you, you call them anything. They just, just make this thing up. But when I go into a school, I don't even engage people on, on issues like that. And if, if I had to work with people like that, I'd never even bring it up. Nope. When I was in the Marine Corps, towards the end, I think the last year or so of my time in the Marine Corps, they had this whole policy called Don't Ask, Don't Tell which meant if you've got queer behavior, you aren't supposed to come out of the closet and let anybody know. That's what essentially that meant. Now, the whole time I served in the Marine Corps, I never met one person in the Marine Corps that was like that. I'm not saying they weren't there. I'm just saying I never knew one. I never knew a human being that was involved with that. Of course, the culture of the Marine Corps wouldn't have made it conducive to, to be like that anyhow. But But if I had known one and I had to work with one, there never would have come out of my mouth a question regarding his husband. I would have never asked if he would have brought it up. I would have never replied or responded. The only thing I would have done, I did my job and made sure he did his job and she did her job. So you don't have to engage people in these lifestyles that you don't believe in, that you know the Bible condemns. Your conversations with them only need to regard whatever it is that you're doing that you have to do together if you have that particular job and you're working in a hospital and you're working for the police force and you're working in a school system or something like that. You don't have to endorse, promote, or say anything. I I found out sometimes the best thing to do is not say anything. And the trouble isn't going to begin until I'm in the school and all the students are sitting there and then they ask this question. Well, Pastor Darrell, what do you believe? Now I'm going to tell them. See, now I'm going to tell them and I'm going to make sure they understand what the Bible says. And it's the same with you. Everything is fine until they ask you what you believe. And once you explain what you believe and why, they can't try to force you to agree with them, even though they'll try. Some of them will say, look, you're narrow minded. You're provincial. You're not affirming. You're mean spirited. Remember what Peter said. Give your reply with meekness and in fear. Not fear of them, but fear of God. Because I know my soul is going to stand before God and there's no man or woman that can condemn my soul to hell. But I have to give an account to him one day for the things done in this body. So I believe what I believe because of what the scripture says. And that's as far as it goes. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say is that as a believer, ground yourself in the gospel Because when Peter talks about giving a reason for the hope that lies within you, in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he talks about we've been begotten again, or born again to a lively hope. I believe Jesus was raised from the dead. 
And because I believe that, I have a hope that one day I'm going to see him. So now I want to do everything I can to tell as many people on planet Earth about him because I have the expectation that one day I'm going to see him face to face and I don't want to stand before him and then him say to me, you could have done more. Well, he probably will, but I want to do everything I can now. Do not be intimidated by anybody, folks. Do not be intimidated. You've got a church family. You've got a triune Godhead. You've got the greater body of Christ. And God knows how to handle every adversary. Don't be intimidated by any programs on the news. I don't care how many scientists they quote. Remember, the scientists are not smarter than God. They're not smarter than God. When you look into this, you tell people you believe because this is what the Bible says. You can tell people you believe because of the inward witness of the spirit if you've been born again. And you can also tell people you believe because you've had an encounter with God. Now, that's all subjective, and you don't have to explain your feelings to anybody. If God's ever spoken to you in a powerful way through the word, and that revelation came to you that in such a way that it gripped you and it touched you and changed you, they don't have to be able to understand it. They just need to know that you believe it. Yeah, and don't ever change. And you'll find that God, God's going to do wonderful things. Amen? Amen? Amen. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Let's all stand. And we'll stand before the king one day, and there are a lot of people going to give an account for the things they've said. They've convinced a lot of Christians, don't believe the Bible, just believe what the scientists say. I mean, after all, the scientists say that by nothing, for nothing, through nothing, of nothing, everything exists. So you know they're bright. I mean, after all, it, but, but Genesis 1 makes it very plain. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without any kind of form. It was empty. But yet darkness was upon the face of the deep. And it said the spirit of God moved upon the, the face of the water. So that tells me right there that when I'm reading the scripture and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, did it happen like that? The spirit of God is in me saying that's exactly how it happened, son. That's exact. No bang. That's exactly how it happened. Yeah. The scientists, they tell you in the beginning of COVID masks don't work. Don't wear them. Then pretty soon you need two masks. Put them on. Then they come along and tell you, look, get the shot. You won't catch COVID at all. Then you get the shot plus 17 boosters and you get COVID four more times. See, whether you got the shot or did not get the shot, that's not even any of my business. All I'm telling you is you should be able to take a stand for what you believe and stand strongly in that. And if you got scripture for something, stand on God's word. Father, thank you for allowing us to look at a few scriptures tonight. We're surrounded by a culture that certainly doesn't, doesn't promote the things of God. But Lord, here in this place, we promote godliness. We promote renewing our minds with your precious word. And fathers, we leave this place tonight and depart Look into our hearts, look into our souls. If there's anything that's unlike you, Lord, forgive us now. Cleanse us, God. If we haven't been strong and robust in our witness and we've been timid and, and somewhat scared, 
Give us courage, give us boldness, baptize us with the Holy Ghost and fire, baptize us with courage, O God. Let us stand strong. In Jesus' mighty name we do pray and everyone say it. Amen, folks. Amen, amen, amen.